reviewing this particular topic, this Sankara, and we tend to emphasize dynamic aspect, the activity aspect. This just gives us an understanding that what's, if it's an activity, then it could be directed and it could be relaxed, you know, it could shift it, it's a dynamic, therefore if there's certain dynamic input you can change the dynamic. This is the principle of karma. Karma extends from obvious karma, which we might call you know, ethics towards other beings or external. And there's also the karma of meditation, which is how one potentizes or enacts certain qualities in one's own mind in order to generate more conducive states or to free up um, unconducive states. Mm. So the particular karma of meditation is, is to do with activating and putting energy into mindfulness, into sustaining mindfulness, into sustaining uh, gentleness, kindness, into sustaining vigor, into sustaining confidence and so forth. So this is all the meditation paradigm which is about Sankara. The aim with meditation being that uh, you are beginning to prune. So you sort of like, which ones are really useful, what ones can we put aside temporarily at least, uh, and then what ones you actually want to feel you could put that one aside like forever. <laughs> oh or on a more long-standing basis. Yeah. So we start to review some of the psychologies or the compulsive activities of, of the mind and how much is useful. Um, if it's not useful, can it be released? Can it be replaced with something more supportive, more sustaining, yeah. such as tranquility or self-respect? if we're looking for um, stability and calm. Mm-hmm. So generate, generating these qualities. So sankara. Um, <coughs> sankara, karma of meditation. <coughs> and with this perhaps then this causes the release of doubt, worry, restlessness, ill will, and so mm-hmm. on, obvious qualities. So it's a karma that both, the aim of it is to generate enough skillful karma to uh, clear out unskillful acquisitions or uh, tendencies and in that clearance also to recognize a kind of a, a spaciousness or a dispassion or a openness which is not occupied the Nibbana element, Nibbana property so there's this sort of moving and activity there that goes on. And uh, as you probably recognize through practice that activity is quite, has to be quite carefully moderated because one particular form or view comes in that tends to have the right idea but uh, rather like having a bull in a china shop or a, or a bear trying to play a piano, it's a bit too much and it gets in the way and it's called myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it aims to resolve the problem but it ends up being the problem. <laughs> it aims to get things sorted out, get things calmed down, to become a better person and it's sort of, it's lumbering around, often uh, hinders the process, you know, <clears throat> it overdoes. It's got the right idea, but it's often got ideas that doesn't really have a realistic, hands-on understanding of, it's just got concepts and notions of what it wants to be. It doesn't have much, so much skill in understanding the depths from which those, some of those wishes, those aspirations can be fulfilled. 
So this is often the trial of meditation, is yes, one would like to be calmer, more peaceful, more loving, less worried, and so forth. And yet, all that trying to make it happen seems to be almost counterproductive to something one begins to sense this could, surely this could be a bit more you know, natural and easy and less of a strain to do. And so often the, you know, the, the big shifts occur when one begins to recognize, oh, there can be a quality of, of goodwill that happens not because I'm trying to be good, it just happens because it's in accord with nature. It just feels natural. One is attuned, or a, the mind is attuned to something in its own depths, its own potentials. Uh, and we begin to get an understanding that self is a construction that kind of sits on top, you might say, if we're looking at it diagrammatically, of a much larger field or wellspring of potentials and perhaps mostly what we do with ourselves is just quietly moderate it gently and penetrate to its origins and um, keep looking into the agitations tremblings pressures as they begin to quiet down or be abated to our surprise perhaps we find something softer quieter coming through it's not myself and yet it's subjectively experienced it's the realisation process this is where the karma ends there isn't a karma in that there's no um, person generating something in order that something else will happen it's just a natural timeless abiding potential maybe I'm just framing up something that you might um, have your own words for or um, sense of but I think we probably all agree that the sense of self is one of our primary struggles in meditation This is, so this sense of self acts, it becomes a formation. So it's called the, um, a number of names actually, but the activity that produces it, this formation is called ahankara. So it's the sankara that builds an I am. It's a very crucial one. And it, it, um, pertains as a potency or an, at the level of what's called anutsaya or latent tendencies. So, time for the board, I think. Ahankara and anutsaya. Anutsaya, latent tendencies, um, they're not always apparent, but there's the potential for uh, ill will or doubt and so forth even though we're not experiencing it right now and there's an example in one of the discourses where someone is two, two people are having a debate this is the Samnamundaka Sutta 78th of the middle length discourses when Panchakanga goes to visit Ugahamana, Ugahamana. and they're discussing who is what's a, a consummate um, contemplative and Ugahamana says I describe an individual endowed with four qualities as being consummate in what is skillful foremost in what is skillful and invincible contemplative attained to the highest attainments what are these four qualities? Is the case he does no evil action with his body, speaks no evil speech, resolves no evil resolve, and maintains himself with no evil means of livelihood. This is his understanding of what the supreme consummate individual contemplative, that's his highest skills. So Panchakanga listens to him, okay? 
I'll go and check that out with the Buddha. The Buddha goes to the, back to the Buddha and he says to, tells him this, and the Buddha says to Panchakanga, who's a carpenter, in that case, carpenter, then according to Ugahamana's words, a stupid baby boy lying in its back is consummate because um, an invincible contemplative attained to the highest attainments. For even the thought body doesn't occur to a stupid baby boy lying in its back. So from where would do any evil action with its body, aside from a little kicking? <laughs> even the thought speech doesn't occur to it. So from where would it, would it speak any evil speech? aside from a little crying. Even the thought resolve doesn't occur to it. So where would it resolve in any evil resolve, aside from a little bad temper? Even the thought livelihood doesn't occur to it. So where would it maintain itself with an evil means of livelihood, aside from its mother's milk? So according to Ugahamana's words of Stupid baby by lying on its back is consummately what is skillful, foremost in what is skillful and invincible, contemplative, attained to the highest attainments. <laughs> so then the Buddha gives his description. He says, I describe an individual endowed with ten qualities. He is consummately what is skillful, foremost in what is skillful and invincible, contemplative. With regard to that point, one should know that this is what the invincible contemplative knows. These are unskillful habits. With regard to this point, one knows that this is the cause of an unskillful habit. This is where unskillful habit ceases without trace. This is the sort of practice, this is the practice leading to the ceasing of unskillful habits. So he goes through the whole list of the, um, the body the speech and the resolve and that's all various details but he says uh, that essentially the point is that the, the newborn child although it doesn't really do very much in terms of harm or malevolence of any kind still it has the potential for that which it will probably begin to <laughs> manifest in a few years time because it hasn't actually understood deeply the source of unskillful habits and where they arise and how they cease so this is the skill of the contemplative not they 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 don't have any or they never had any but they're able to penetrate into them and this latent tendency of uh, ahankara is the essential thing that is removed the ahankara tends to, the self view tends to act as, a, as an obstacle to revealing unskillful habits because it either denies them has them or justifies them or doesn't even see them because these unskillful habits don't arise from you know, they may manifest through the person, but they, they arise from a place, we might say, prior to the person. And the person gets, rises from that latencies and isn't always even aware of them. Or if they are aware of them, they're flooded with them and they feel guilty about them, but they can't actually do anything about it very much. Or they're flooded with them and they justify them. Or they're flooded with them and they deny they exist. Yeah. because they can't actually cope with unskillful tendencies that system doesn't do it it can block it and it can't really resolve it this is the ahankara so it's, it's a structure that is established through sankara it is what we call another manifestation what we call upadi acquisition that which has been laid down that which has been acquired that which has been made a foundation so in this way the activities um, you start with something that's kind of generated Yohankara is a view that forms a structure a view, a tendency that forms a structure and that structure then starts to activate 
And if we begin to ask ourselves, what is self-view? What does the I am want to do? And we might make a little list. Generally, the I am would like to own something, material, immaterial. The I am experiences itself very much as... um, held within the sensory experience. The I am is that which does the seeing, does the hearing, is the, that which is hear, sights and sounds land upon this I am. So it's both a, a kind of like it's a, um, an ontological basis where things happen too, that's what it is, that's who I am. I am that which is, can see and sights happen to me. Um, it also, because of that fundamental position, it seeks to hold on to something, to acquire something, to stabilize itself. So it seeks stability, it seeks ownership, it seeks agency. I'd like to do something to bring around an effect. And just, how do I get? What do I need to do? What can I do that will bring around wholesome or helpful effect? So it has an agency. I want to be in charge of something. At least this body. I feel confused otherwise. I feel powerless. I feel somehow lessened by my inability to act, to do effective, create effective actions. It also suggests it seeks fulfillment yeah. uh, happiness uh, a kind of optimal state now we might some of these down we have ownership where first of all um, that which is um, the basis or the centre of sen- sen- the sensory world we call that an ontology ontology that's what I that's what it experiences itself as it um, seeks ownership we look at it very broadly um, obviously ownership external belongings also ownership of um, immaterial qualities I want to, like uh, goodness happiness um, I'm possessed of something it seeks agency, it's to be an effective actor, can bring around effects in accordance with its intentions. It seeks fulfillment, can feel complete, satisfied, filled with positive experience. Um, and of course possession also means it can um, it can defend you know I hold my peace and it doesn't get taken away from me so it can defend itself from things being taken away or painful experiences so painful experiences opposite of fulfilment yeah. I mean it wounds or lessens my well-being I, mean, I defend myself from those it also seeks to mediate or negotiate with other selves to enter a, a harmonious uh, relationship loosely speaking what it, what it, se- what it senses is harmonious you <laughs> 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 know the beings 
so that there isn't this sense of chafing or snagging with other beings, there isn't a loss of fulfillment throughout the presence of other beings or other subjects. So I suggest you maybe any others that self wishes to do. You all got one. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the list? <laughs> Wish list? <laughs> Release? <laughs> Release from suffering? <laughs> That's quite a good idea. I guess that would be fulfillment, though, wouldn't it? To know itself? Perhaps. Certainty? Stability, always this, know where I am, definitely this. These may come down to two or three things, but we also tease them out to a number of experiences. So, Bhavatana is a craving, a thirst to become something, to extend into the future. Um, so, a sense that it wants the progression, to progress who are better in some way or another. Often not necessarily material but immaterial. I'd like to become more wiser, more knowledgeable, um, happier, um, learn a bit more, you know, be more successful, more famous, more acclaimed, more something, you know. And of course it can be I'd like to become more reclusive or more simple. Or, you know, in other words, where I am now is not really the final story. I want a bit more. I want to shift in some direction. Vibhavatana, pretty much the same, except it's I want to get away from being that. Yeah. It's a, so these can be kind of responses that occur in the dynamics of situations and experiences. That something happens, we want to pick it up and run with it. Oh yeah, how can we go with this? Another one, I want to pick it up and run away, drop it and run away from it. Get me out of here. And so these can be happening, uh, these energies. And the karma tanha, which is not the same as karma, but karma, sensuality, thirst for some sense object, sight, generally applied to the external senses, gratification. Mm. I mean, to fill up to get that fulfillment experience or to abate that unfulfillment experience that sense of dreariness, boredom, hunger, incompletion those are the, the energy drives that come out of those ontological bases of selfhood in, in this sense. Of course the word self is used in a number of ways um, so this is just when we talk about self in Buddhism we're talking about this heap yeah, this particular another way in which self is used more reflexively is citta which is more like you should know this for yourself it doesn't mean you're Ontological self it means your subjective awareness. So, and that's so careful not to confuse those things because the Buddha does say things like, "Be a refuge to yourself." Well, you don't find a refuge in in this lot. You find a refuge in your subjective clarity that's here, subjective awareness. So, the Buddha doesn't by any means repudiate subjectivity. But the issue is when that subjectivity gets occluded by a, a form, a subtle form, a lot of power and beauty is blocked out, it's obscured. Right? So we have subjective awareness, which is always you know, awaring, you don't have to ask it to do anything, it already is awaring. In a way it's a possession because it's already, we can't lose it. Um, and uh, it can also be a place of deep fulfilment. 
serenity, comfort, ease, um, peacefulness. But the ahankara sits on top of that and tries to fulfill what is already <laughs> could be fulfilled if it got out of the way. <laughs> Ignorance. Ignorance. So this formulation of, of self-image is another way of talking about this thing. But of course it doesn't always arise as a particular concrete image. It's an image that shifts. In certain situations I feel, you know, comfortable or I'm a leader or I'm, you know, something like that. Certain situations I am somebody's sister or brother and things kick in. Certain situations I'm somebody's mother or father. Certain things kick in. Um, Certain situations I am the caregiver or the, uh, you know, so, and then any of those can come in with these, am I, you know, is my, is my act good enough? The issue around agency comes up. Am I good enough? Teacher, mother, friend, brother, servant, whatever. Agency. Suddenly the I am. Am I doing it good enough? Um, is it giving me fulfillment? Well, I'm always feeling, oh, you know, I can't really do this. It's a bit of a drag. Um, not really getting the am I getting better at it progressing some people say but I think I've got a long way to go they say I'm good but it's probably because they're nice people you know I know really that I don't quite come up to the ideal standards uh, stability well you know I have my good days and bad days um, I don't really do I know myself well I just know there's lots of grey areas there <laughs> and ownership. We uh, uh, realize ownership uh, of anything really is a matter of you don't own anything, you, you borrow it for a while, or you loan it, or it's granted to you for a while before it's even your own body. You don't actually own it in some final sense. It's on loan, you could say, and it's definitely going its own way like owning a cat. You don't own cats, you attend them. And so it's the same thing with the body. Uh, ownership. So the um, self-view is coming into these areas that it's, that it's set up to, to manage and probably finding less than gold stars and all of those. We gradate ourselves in any particular ownership. What, what do you have? You got enough? Um, is it secure? Um, perhaps that can be sometimes one of the easier ones. Except you do recognise when it comes down to very fundamental things. You know, you don't own your health. Um, you can't possess it. Uh, guarantee it. Um, it's, it's unreliable. Uh, agency, how good are you doing your thing? Well, can you cook eggs? Can you fix a car? Can you handle a computer program? Oh dear. Grades are dropping. <laughs> <laughs> can make people happy or can you make yourself happy? <laughs> Just about, you know. Maybe five out of ten, six and fours. <laughs> Uh, fulfillment, don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Defend, well, I can put up a fight <laughs> when I need to, but a few things keep stabbing in, pain keeps stabbing in, toothache comes, headaches, um, accusations, criticisms, um, you know, I can't quite fend off completely. So I block, mediate, negotiate with others, ongoing process. You know, I tell that to what I said this remark, I thought it was quite funny myself and God, she was really offended. I didn't realise that I just touched on something rather difficult for her, oh dear. And I spoke saying the other day I said something kind of a bit quickly and she felt she heard it as a kind of demand and I should have known better than that. But 
I don't really get what he's talking. I don't really get this guy. What does he really want? He says this, but he doesn't. How, how can you be with other people? And then, what's really happening for him anyway? He never says anything. And he's kind of, kind of walk around in the dark. All I know is that somehow he's going to get annoyed about something. What's going on there? Is it? If I ask him, he says, oh, I'm fine. Mediating, <laughs> 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 negotiating with others. So <clears throat> why can't we just live in harmony? <laughs> so this is the So it gets very busy there, doesn't it? Being a hunkara, a hunkara is very. It's just a workout getting through a day, <laughs> <laughs> and coming at the end of it, thinking, "Well, got through. More <laughs> to come tomorrow." <laughs> so this is why the Buddha said, "This, this is suffering." <laughs> And people think that's a miserable statement. <laughs> He's just telling the truth. <laughs> and told the truth because he also read no point in the truth unless you've got some, something, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. I wouldn't bother to tell you this unless I, if I couldn't find some way to help you, what's the point in saying it? It doesn't have to be this way. Really? How do I do that? How do I? How do I do? Oh, here it goes again. How do I get that? Oh, here it goes again. How do I find that really? Go- oh, there it goes again. We can't even conceive of the, of the path without one of those ions getting into it. And you say something like. Through the complete dispassionate ceasing relinquishment, oh dear. Don't really want that. <laughs> so, so okay, let's start on the the, the, the step by step approach. <laughs> The first thing is, can you create a, a reasonably good self? Okay, I'm interested in that. Well, this is how to make yourself feel more comfortable. Well, first of all, you know, um, just spend some time calming down a little, stabilizing, and then do things that, like generosity, because that's a pretty good way to, to be with others. Simple negotiation and just be a little bit generous. You don't have to like them that much. But this makes you feel good, and it's probably a fairly reliable way which will, uh, will accomplish some of that self-experience. Some negotiating with the generous. And if you can be more loving and accepting, that will certainly help. Okay, well, let's back off a bit. First of all, generous. <laughs> and then, secondly, um, virtuous. Like, don't abuse them. Don't curse them, don't hit them, don't violate them, don't steal things from them. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, just really stabilizing that and also recollect and cultivate those intentions, those movements of your heart that support that. This is called heart of sila. Not just the action, but also the dynamic that manifests that way. What's that? It's called respect, isn't it? Yeah. So both these acknowledging subjectivity, respect. To others as to myself. Mutuality. To others as to myself. Then, in that way, I feel some sense, something happens here. Uh, subjectively. A sense of Attentiveness, sensitivity, um, 
and a quiet joy of experiencing beauty of virtue that is it's not just does good things it feels rather pleasant a skillful intention feels rather pleasant it's not just the judgment it's a, it's a slightly hedonic tone to it and it feels bright buoyant something that they say they don't meditate they just sit quietly and absorb into that put that in you know take that quality and dwell upon it in your mind cultivate your mind also in this sense cultivate recollecting and dwelling in those energies that to do with respect concern for others love generosity giving Spend some time dwelling in that. And what you'll notice, though you barely noticed it probably, that for that period of time, some of the need to um, do things, to, to worry about one's performance, that's sort of abated because your intention is already there and you can feel the results of that. Some of the need to owe to for fulfilment also is quiet because this is quietly fulfilling. Yeah. There isn't so much sense hunger, for example. We feel more comfortable in this good heart. So yeah, yeah, you see, without even realizing it you have now, to some extent, relinquished, renounced, abandoned, <laughs> without even knowing you did it. Just because you sought what was for, give you more fulfillment, more happiness, more comfort, and more stability. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, so this is one of the way we have to go. Ideally, so. It, that's, that's the track to cultivate skillful intention it's a movement of the heart and that the heart can be moved it can be touched and moved we're not just locked into habits we can cultivate skillful habits and acknowledge skillfulness isn't just a, uh, you know, a gradation or check, a tick but um, a, a, a definitely a, a, has a feeling to it, an agreeable feeling to it. And once you get that, you begin to recognize that all kinds of other intentions which perhaps are subtler that also fulfill in that way. That's, you know, the activity of sustaining attention on a, on, a, on a particular object of mind, for meditation you might say, just selecting something one can sustain attention on, and though it can be, take some work and require moderating the effect of that is one feels stable and comfortable and there's an agreeable quality called calm that is fulfilling and so meditators by and large as they come into this will find as they do this their, um, their sense desires tend to diminish their ambitions tend to be more moderate, more realistic and their actions towards others tend to be uh, less abusive so, and so we start to fulfill some of these qualities that the self he was trying to fulfill by not by by looking into not into oneself as an entity but into certain intentionalities and dynamics that are there in the field of chitta in the field of subjective awareness that's just nothing personal about general (coughs) like something I made up or I'm so good at I mean, you can make it like that, but 
it's so it's fundamental you know to 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 the human mind there's nothing so mysterious about um, goodwill a very simple concept it's innate in the human mind yeah. and at the same time it's both innate and it gets buried underneath the self view particularly when the self view becomes so uh, obstructive it becomes almost toxic and cancerous like a f- crazed or neurotic or pathological domineering so it completely or almost completely obstructs the revealing of the beauty of chitta, beauty of subje- subjective awareness. So, you know, we, so the Buddha always tried to present something that a person could reach out to. And so the first one of these that probably any human being can reach out to on some occasions is the act of giving. They would at least give to their grandchildren or their dog, you know. So that's as far as it goes. Good, good. But focus on that quality and see if that quality could be deepened into, dwelt in, appreciated, so that in fact we're quite eager to make more of it. There's a natural inclination to development of skillful intentions. So this this is the the, the trajectory, and. Another quite, you know, sometimes overlooked uh, aspect of the, the Buddha's teaching is it's about pleasure. He said, I teach pleasure. Uh, you know, when, you know, Buddhism is marked as obviously about suffering. You know, so he said, No, I don't teach suffering. I'll tell you that you're, in, I'm not teaching it, I'm, I'm revealing it. What I'm teaching, instructing, is pleasure. <laughs> I'm actually bringing forth, you know, having to encourage you in his pleasure. Not, you know, I'm not encouraging you more suffering, I'm encouraging you in pleasure. But real pleasure, um, <coughs> deep pleasure, pleasure that it doesn't come through acquisition, ownership, egotism, um, defensiveness actually comes around through the ability to gradually relax some of those self-tendencies to the point when those self-tendencies can forming tendencies can abate um, and programs can seen as fallacious and unnecessary don't need to keep them going, either in detail, some details, or even profound or complete structures can fall away. So the Buddha himself lived a life of possessions, I don't think he had anything really bold, and probably I don't think he was too hung up on that either. (laughs) So this is like a model, not saying that's what we all live, but to recognise that he could go to that, that extent. Yeah. but at the same time recognising you know well you know, we do need shelter we do need clothes but consider them on loan just as something you, you put on and, you know, functional rather than ontological requirement for oneself just the function for the body same with food it's not a fulfilment experience it's uh, you know a medicine or a requirement to keep the body sustained. It could be also a way of expressing generosity, sharing with others, and that's its beauty. Real beauty of food is being able to share it. Eating it is okay, but it's not as beautiful as sharing it. Heart really loves that. So, you know, these are ways in which this kind of Dwindling relinquishment self view still can play out in terms of the pragmatic realities of of life, at least some of them anyway, the basic ones. Mm. 
it goes, of course, you know, the Buddha takes a theme as we get, as we warm to that theme. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I get you. I, yeah, I can do some of that. Yeah. And when I do some of that and tune into the intention, the quality of it, that quality is such that it pushes out the I am that did it. It floods, it, it becomes larger than the sense of self that does it, that seemed to do it. Because the self just acts as a mediator, a functional mediator, to tap into a spring, because they're a wellspring of heart that eventually supersedes it. Now the Buddha didn't deny the, the, the um, self-experience, he said one needs to be someone who is fulfill, is, has achievement in terms of self. That is, uh, some of those functional structures can arise, but they're not clung to as a basis, as an ontology. That is, that they, are, they can arise, they can be put into action, but they're clear of these tanhas. So there could be, say, you know, say the possession, yes, this is my robe, yes, this is my bowl, this is where I live, Uh, I'm looking after it, tidying it up, caring for it, this is where I go. When I go here, I don't feel I'm stealing from anybody else, but it's allocated to me. At the same time, if it disappears, it's okay. um, It was only ever understood to be that. It doesn't become a possession in that same way doesn't become a source of self-reference like what a great bowl I've got or what a great pair of socks or what a fantastic this out the other I've got it doesn't become uh, an ego adornment so because of this process and the fundamental thing that gets weeded out is, is, is the tanha, the craving Basically, because it doesn't work. You know, it's understandable if we come in with that those kind of agendas. Uh, find something, be something, own something, get stable, get fulfilled, and get happy. Well, you can understand that there will be a certain you know, craving to get that. Uh, that. So as long as there's some sort of, but this is because those cravings depend upon this structure, this self-structure, to achieve those goals. You know, the interesting thing is that those goals can be achieved only fully achieved through the, the, the abating of the self-structure. When the self-structure abates, you don't, then the tanha disappears because the tanha always postulates that the desirable result will be somewhere in the future, somewhere out there, through acquiring some attribute. In other words, every form of craving always infers innately I am in lack I am in need I am deficit therefore I need to have to be to prove to be seen as in order that that this uncomfortable deficit experience will abate that's what because that's, that's its premise and unfortunately that uncomfortable deficit experience is a natural aspect of self-view <laughs> because self-view is an uncomfortable deficit it's a, it's a contracted structure that sits on top of and obscures something else that's boundless and brilliant and fulfilled therefore it is a deficit everything that proceeds from that deficit basis must therefore be the craving to overcome its own deficit and it can't do it because it's coming from the wrong place.
or craving. Now, again, to, to just to clarify the words, we the, because sometimes it says, well, we shouldn't have any desire. The Buddha said you should have desire. Uh, uh, chanda is the word for desire. So tanha can be used. Desire, chanda means that the desire or the motivation to 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 do to aspire. Uh, so one deeply is moved and aspires to realize one's freedom, and because of you know, so there's a motivation which is to means tap into your your true intentions and encourage them to come forth. That takes a certain chanda. Chanda is also means affirmation, assent, saying yes. Saying yes to your aspiration, saying yes to your to your virtue, saying yes to your you know, what you realise and feel and detect as this is the good. Yeah. Chanda does that. Yeah. So it's always it's you know it's subject or it's source oriented. I touch into that source of goodness and I know it's there and I aspire to bring it forth and make much of it. It's source oriented. Tanha is goal oriented. My source is in deficit. There's something else out there that I could get, somewhere in the future that I could have, some ideal I could become that would stop this uncomfortable feeling. So tanha, object, goal-oriented, out there, in the future, somewhere else, some ideal state, can I get to it so I can have it and bring it into me? That's why it's called thirst. Tanha literally means thirst. Chanda, there's something beautiful here, here in my subjectivity, can I encourage it? Can I bring it forth? Because it's because of its beauty. Because I trust it. Yeah. Bring it forth. That's t- that's chanda. Mm. So, different energy, isn't it? And so the chanda then can, because it's it's energized. It's an activation. It's a sankara. But it's a sankara that can steadily replace the tanha. That is, yes, there's motivation. Yes, I want to do. Yes, I want to, if you like, be. But it's based upon something subjective and innately fulfilling. I want to, I want to get that flame to burn stronger in me. That, so, that's, so, so this doesn't rule out, therefore this doesn't rule out action. It doesn't rule out effort. It doesn't rule out a sense even of... of fulfillment or even of progress yes that, that, that intentionality is coming through it's coming through I'm pleased it gives me a sense of also even you know it's now it's now fulfilled in this area too so in a way this even in terms of path this shifting you know, from the ontological basis of self to the jitta basis of my subjectivity is in one way uh, an expression of of the fundamental change of view that's necessary for achievement of the Buddhist goal but perhaps more practically achievement of your (laughs) well-being because we're both that. We have a subjective awareness and we also have a self-view structure. So there's, there's the picture, there's the map. And you can operate on either of those and sometimes it's not clear which is which at first. So you have to feel it out and trust intentionality, chitana. Because this is the only thing you have. Really. If you own anything as the Buddha says, we, we own our karma. That's the only thing we own. This one says, you own it so much that even when this body drops away, you've still got that. <laughs> it goes to the next life. That's how much you own it. 
Right? You, know, you have this intentionality. And if you don't want to take that on, well, just consider now what, what you, know, you, you have that you could really say, this one I stand with, I stand, it's, it's there, no one could take this away from me. Whether I can act upon it, I don't know, but I will sustain this intentionality towards harmlessness. And, yeah, no one can take, you away, t- take that away from me. It's mine. Yeah. I may not always achieve it or be able to act upon it, but I can sustain that intention because it is um, it's one, it's one's own. So, you know, this way it's very pragmatic and early Buddhism you see lots of expressions like oh it's a great gain for me, it's a great gain for me, I've gained so much, you know. I have gained friendship in the holy life, I'm so delighted, it's a great gain for me. I've gained the precepts, I've gained morality, oh this is enormous gain. You know, they don't, they don't sort of say, well, nothing much really, you know, don't want to be too proud about that, so I just try the best I can after all. There's always great gain for me. <laughs> you know, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> so they're not, you know, they're not worried about these terms like possession, gaining, and so forth, uh, but they're, they're actually pointing to, to their real fulfillment, rather than this sort of pride, conceit experience. yourself, I think we're all much more intensely socialized and intentionally self-conscious and in some ways they're pretty naive these people, you know, we call them slightly naive uh, because they're they're less socially you know, configured they're not really they're not looking for self-image they just they, they express themselves quite freely in quite often earthy ways, earthy and simple and childlike ways. Less needing to be taken seriously, less, less need to seem intelligent, sophisticated, cool, academically achieved, cosmopolitan awareness. You know, all the stuff that gets washes of it sweep over us, you know. And they just go, kind of, I feel happy, look at you. That's it. <laughs> and often says, you know, someone who's, who's feeling sad, they sit with their so- shoulders hunched, beating their breast and lamenting. They <laughs> 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 could quite easily read what was going on. <laughs> they weren't sort of, I'm feeling fine, thank you. <laughs> just having a quiet moment to myself. <laughs> 